are live. Okay, so we're going to give people time to jump on um, and as we jump on, so, um, so we are on several different Facebook groups. We are on our Facebook two pages and we are live also on YouTube. So that will be great to reach everybody. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just, I'm just working today and hello, people are starting to join. So um, let me just give a little intro to those that are already on. So I'm Jess Hill, founder, co-founder of e-commerce empowerment, um, founder of e-commerce women selling on Etsy, Amazon, Shopify, and beyond. And I am here today with Amy Weiss and she and I, let's give a little backstory. So we met in October of 2017. Maybe it was November, but it's been three and a half years. We've been partnering together. And Amy is the founder of Amazing at Home. I love it. Um, so thank you, Amy, for coming on and speaking with our group today. We're going to be talking about private labels. So if you're not familiar, um, if you're brand new to the community, if you're brand new to the group, um, private label is one of the many income streams or business models that you can build online. And we're going to talk about Amazon, but really, you know, private label can be um, on many platforms as well as your own website. And Amy has truly mastered the art of it. And it is, it, it's a lot, but it's also amazing, right? So today we're going to be live. I'm going to have, um, you can type your questions in the comment section and I can field those questions for Amy. But today we're going to just get to know Amy and get to know the process of private labeling so we do have we have about a dozen people already on which is great um so i think we can go ahead and we can go ahead and get started do you think are you ready amy yeah i i was born ready <laughs> <laughs> all right so um like i said anyways here um and let why don't you give yourself a little introduction of who you are and like um kind of like your e-commerce background that sounds like a good way to get started. So hello, everyone. I'm Amy Weiss. Um, oh, geez. Okay. Well, I started selling on Amazon in 2007. So I remember I was in college and I was also in the military. So I was in the Air Force at the time. And I was trying to buy textbooks, like use textbooks on Amazon. And um, because, you know, textbooks in college is expensive. And, can, you know, anybody here feel me there? Yeah. And so I'm on Amazon and I'm looking and I see this little button on there that says, sell yours here. And I was like, oh, I can sell my textbooks too. Sweet. So I bought this textbook for some of my classes and then I ended up selling it. And it sold very fast. And, I, you know, I figured out because back then it was like merchant fulfilled everything, right? Um, and I kind of figured out how to do it. And I just started selling online as a hobby. So then I started just flipping everything I could find, like anything that was in my house, I would flip that kind of stuff. The same stuff that just recommends when you're just getting started, like find something in your house that you can sell. Right. Um, so that's how I got started. And I started selling on eBay and, you know, and I was still in the air force at the time and I just kind of did it as a hobby. And that's then Fast forward to 2017 
And, you know, and I had sold on Facebook Marketplace this whole time. I had sold on eBay, just wherever, you know, I had my own Etsy business where I was painting wine glasses and I did that as a hobby. Um, And I did that while I lived in Hawaii uh, because my husband and I were both military. So we were traveling all around with our kids. I'm a mom too. Um, And yeah, and so I, in 2017 is when I started my private label journey and what had happened was I came up with an idea for a product. Yes. And I had a problem that I needed that needed solving. And that was cleaning the cat's litter box. And I hated it and it stunk and there was no good solution. And so I just, I kind of, I'm always been one of those people that carries around a notebook of things, you know, yeah. uh, that I kind of, but I never executed any of it. And so I just decided, like, I came up with this idea for a new way to clean the litter box. And, you know, I went to Home Depot, I built a prototype for this thing, and it worked really, really well. And I was like, I have to figure out how to get this thing on the market. And I knew that I could sell it on Amazon. Yeah, I knew that. But I didn't know what the steps were from concept to launch. Like, I didn't know how to take this thing that I had built, which is like a really hot mess, but worked really well and turn it into an actual product on the market. So that's when I started on my journey to um, learn how to actually develop a product, learn how to take a product from scratch and move it to the market and, um, and started my private label business. And, and along that journey, I was sharing because, you know, when you're trying to come up with an idea for a product and you're trying to like start from scratch, oftentimes you just run into like product design firms and stuff like that. And they could charge you like 30 to $50,000 just to like help you with your drawings. Right. And I felt like, you know, no, there's brands that bring products to the market all the time. I have to figure this out. And so that's what, and I knew that there had to be other people like me that wanted to either differentiate or bring a product to market and they just didn't know how to make it happen. Now, this is different than, you know, just picking out a product on Alibaba and a stock product and not making any changes. This is like, actually, if you want to differentiate something. So anyway, long story short, I figured it out and I shared my journey along the way and I started helping other people do the same. And um, this year, 2020 seller poll, I was voted third in the world, my course and my consulting for private label. And so we've had a massive impact on private label sellers. I have a China trip. I go to China twice a year. I take entrepreneurs with me, teach them how to navigate talking to manufacturers. And I can literally scroll through Amazon now in every category and see brands that I've had a part in. And it's like so exciting to know that, you know, there is a path from concept to launch. And if you want to start your own brand, you can totally do it. (laughs) You can. And leveraging Amazon and then now leveraging other platforms and even brick and mortar for your private label business. So I just love it. And thank you for partnering with us and thank you for being a part of the community and bringing such great value, right? A lot of us need that step-by-step and you are giving that. Um, so let's go ahead and I, I do have some questions. We'll be fielding your questions in the comment section. 
throughout our interview. So, um, so for those people that are brand new the, to the community and don't even know like what is private label, because a lot of us are arbitragers and that's fine. Um, but you might want to take a lot of people will take their um, capital from arbitrage um, or wholesale and then roll it in to a private label business. So give us a little bit more about that. So what is private label? And this is, you know, it's commonly actually uh, misdefined in the community. So often private label, th people think that private label is okay. Like, for example, I have this alarm clock on my desk, right? It's a little sunny alarm clock, right? A lot of times people think that private label is me taking this little alarm clock and me just sourcing it from a manufacturer and me putting my brand name on it. Right. That's not private label. <laughs> That's white label. Exactly. White label is when you're taking a stock product that's already out there and you're asking a manufacturer, hey, can you put my label on that? Can you put my packaging on that? That's white label. Now, there's nothing wrong with white label. Right. The margins are usually a little tighter because usually there's a third party involved, right? There's usually a trading company that's sourcing from a manufacturer and you know, you're not at that manufacturer level, you're not developing, so you're gonna pay a little bit more and you're gonna have a lot more competition because there's nothing preventing Jess over here from going, oh, well, I'm better at branding and I have a better audience off of Amazon and I'm gonna just put my brand, my label on that and I'm right. going to kick your butt, Amy. And, you know, so anybody right. can, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, there's competition there, right? So private label, let's talk about what private label is. Private label is, let's say that I decide that my alarm clock is going to be a little different. Like maybe I'm going to add... Maybe I'm going to add a little coffee maker to the side of this. <laughs> it, it, it brews my coffee in the morning, right? Or, you know, you've seen the ones that make a hot dog or make bacon or something yes. like that, right? But yes. anyway, I'm differentiating this in some way, or I'm making something entirely new and different, but I'm differentiating this in some way, and the differentiation is something that I can own. So maybe I make this in the shape of a cat. And I can protect, I can do a design patent and maybe the cat ears actually do something, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I can protect that differentiation. I can say, all right, nobody else can, I can do a design patent on it and nobody else can come to market with a with cat ears that actually have the clock inside of them or something, I don't know, right? right. But ultimately I can protect that. I have an asset that I can grow and that I can own and that I can protect. So, and that doesn't mean always inventing something. Some, sometimes it's applying your own unique design to something. Right. So you can think of it kind of like print on demand. You know, you're right. putting right. you're putting your own logo or something on a t-shirt. That logo is something that I own. You know, I own this so I can protect that. So that's the thing. That's the difference in private label versus white label. They, you can make money with both of them. They just both have their benefits and their risks to them. I like it. Okay. We do have a question from audience. So Dina. Says, yeah, Dina. So I have a product idea I'm sitting on for years. Nothing else like it on the market. 
Um, I am not in a position to apply for a patent or pay for someone else to assist in the drawing up of a provision, provisional patent. Um, I'm fearful of taking the idea to the manufacturer and let's see, sorry, I'm clicking through too. I do not know how to protect myself and my idea. So I love your question, Dina. Thank you so much for asking it. And so many people are in your position. So first of all, I would like to remove the fear of patents for you because so many people are afraid of patents. They're like, oh my God, it's gonna cost me $100,000 and I don't wanna do that. So number one, before you move forward, you said there's nothing else like it on the market. That's exciting. This is probably one of those ideas, Dina, that has been bugging you, that itches at you on the weekends when you have time to, a moment to think to yourself and you're like, man, I really, you know, Gosh, that idea keeps coming up and it's bugging me because I really want to take it to market. And it's probably one of those ideas that would piss you off if someone else took it to market before you. Yes. And if it's if that's the problem, Dina, then we need to talk. So let's talk. We're going to have a little talk, Dina. All right. Number one, I want you to think about your idea and I want you to think about reasonable alternatives to your idea. Right. So, for example, you know, if, I don't know if you're a fan of the show Shark Tank, but I always use this example. There was a guy who created something to block a camera, like a, a laptop camera. Right. He's like, you know, cybersecurity, it's a problem. I invented this thing that will close, you know, a laptop camera. And the shark, one of the sharks said, I just use a piece of tape. Right. So he didn't get a deal on the Shark Tank. And yeah, he sold a bunch of those, but they were basically swag and the customer didn't see extra value in it. So I've had a lot of people come to me with ideas and I've been able to say, okay, but wait, I can just use this, right? So you do wanna make sure, because no matter what, even if there's nothing else like it on the market, like I literally created a new category. There was not litter box cleaners on the market before I invented my product. And the thing is, when you invent a new category, it's going to require education and it's going to require you to solve a problem. So make sure, Dina, that you're really thinking about your idea and that, you know, she said 24-7, she's thinking That's about nice, yeah. Yes, we're going to empower you today. So the thing is, I want you to make sure that there's not a... Um, there's not a reasonable alternative that, you know, that, that, and if there is, it's okay. It's okay. But you need to be able to answer the question, why would someone buy mine right. and not the alternative, right? Like what value am I bringing to that audience? And if you feel good about validating your product, right, you feel good about, you know, this, this idea, and you know that people could really, really use this product. Then the second thing that I want you to do is I want you to go over to my friend, Don DeBellick, over, he is a patent agent. And what patent agents can do for you is they can help you draw up a patent. They, they have the same um, learnings and everything as a, um, as a patent attorney, but they can't litigate. We're not trying to litigate right now. <laughs> We're just trying to get your idea on paper and get it filed. So for less than a thousand dollars, usually you can get a, a patent agent will um, will draw up your provisional for you. And what the provisional does is it gives you a year to get moving and get to market. 
Okay. So I don't want you to be afraid of patenting your idea. A patent is a wonderful asset to have, and right. it's only as good as your ability to litigate against it. So that's, that's the thing. So the other thing that I want you to do before you go to a patent agent is, or, you know, getting your, your patent done, whatever, right. Um, there's also some really great books on the market that allow you to file your own provisional. The USPTO has a self-help um, has a self-help department that's really really good. In fact, in my course library, I have how to file your own design patent, and I've um, and I've you know shared that with my folks. But the thing is, um, just don't let patents scare you because there's just no reason for that. You have a good idea. A patent is just one step in the whole process. Um, so, but what I always, what we teach is that what you need to do before you go to someone to patent your idea is you need to prototype it. You need to make sure that you understand the way this thing would actually work in practice, right? You have this idea, but does it work? So let's say that I want to add, um, yeah, and I'll spell his name in just yeah. a second. Um, <laughs> but let's say that I want to add um, lights to a water bottle because, you know, hey, women walking to their car, whatever at night, and I want to add lights to a water bottle. Well, I need to actually do what I call DIY prototyping. I need to buy a water bottle. I need to buy a flashlight. I need to kind of understand the process. I need to, I'm not asking you to become an engineer. I'm asking yeah. you to go, okay, how big would this thing be? Where would the lights actually go? How would I drink out of it? Ooh, how would I clean it? You yeah. want to think all the way through how the customer would actually use this product on a daily basis, how they would clean it, how they would store it. And that's going to impact your design decisions. And a lot of people, they'll go to like patenting a product and they are patenting their idea and they don't, they haven't fully developed their idea yet. So what I want you to do, Dina, is those couple of things. So first of all, Get rid of your fear of patents. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> We're not doing it. And then secondly, I want you to develop your idea further. And you can always book a call with me if you need help with that. I love that stuff all the time, every day. <laughs> so um, it's Don. D-O-N. D-E-B-E-L-E-K. So, or yes, I believe that's it. But it's, it's onestopinventionshop.net is his um is his website and then you'll see like patents by don debella he's an entrepreneur magazine columnist he's been on my podcast there's you know links to interviews with him in my amazing at home um group so in which is a sister group of um of the e-commerce women here yeah so don't worry we got you okay Perfect. Super, super. Okay. She said, I, I tried to piece some stuff together and it looks terrible. That's okay. I mean, the yep. first time we yeah, like I was designing a sports bag and I literally took um, some poster board and some tape. That's not a sports bag. I didn't sew anything, but I needed to understand, okay, well, where would the shoes go? Where would the wet clothes go? Where would the zippers go? So all I'm asking you to do is, is to sometimes just start with sketching, then you move through. It's okay if it's bubble gum and tape. The whole thing is like, how big is it? How wide is it? How tall is it? And then you can enlist, um, you know, a product designer. You can always have somebody, you know, mock up your your idea in 3D. There's yeah. lots of you can look for maker spaces near you. There's lots of that kind of stuff. And so 
don't don't be afraid first of all to do it on your own and then secondly um to even if you don't have the materials like i built my first prototype i went to home depot and i built it out of wood and hardware mesh <laughs> you know it, it was a mess but it worked and i understood okay this is how deep it needs to be this is how wide like oh it's not gonna that's not gonna work like i wouldn't be able to work with that right so you just, you get your ideas together and that helps you. And so that's all I'm, I'm saying for you to do it is just develop the idea a little bit further. Yes, great. Okay, we have another question. Hello, I currently sell on Amazon, but I I have a brand I'm thinking of taking to Amazon, but I don't want to mix it up with my regular Amazon account. I believe a separate account would help keep the financials tidy and also help with brand registry and brand recognition in the future. What are some points to be aware of as I'm so afraid of putting my current account at risk through related account suspension? Okay, so <laughs> this used to be a huge fear, right? Because Amazon used to suspend people for multiple accounts. Right. And now they do not suspend you for multiple accounts. You are allowed to open up multiple accounts, but people are still super nervous, right? Um, so here's some things to know is that you can open other accounts. Like for example, let's say you're retail arbitraging on one seller account and you don't have to worry about your buyer account and your seller account being mixed up. So if you're talking about your buyer account, that's not related to your seller account. Um, right. Even if you use the same email for both, it's it's okay. Like it's not, that's that's okay. You don't have to worry about that. But if you are, let's say you're retail arbitraging on one account, because I was doing that. I did everything in the beginning because I was just trying to learn all the things, you know, and Amazon had changed a lot since I started. So I did wholesale, I did retail arbitrage, I did everything. That's how I met Jess. I was like, I'm learning all the things. Let's do all the things. Let's do all the things. <laughs> so you know i i totally get it like i still have retail arbitrage stuff like in my amazon account um but something that's good to know for brand registry is that you can actually register multiple brands underneath your seller account like i have three brands registered under mine and it's okay it doesn't it doesn't affect anything you build separate storefronts for each brand and customers are not looking at what's under your seller account they're clicking on the brand name they're going to your storefront they're not like oh you know they're not like clicking on sold by they don't right. pay attention to that so it's you know it's unless they're unless they're shopping for more offers in the in the uh, outside of the buy box like you know right. like when you're right. until, right. I, I used to like discount shop on amazon by looking at more sellers but Either right. way, that's the only time they're looking at your seller name. If you have a private label or your own brand of products on Amazon, they're going to be clicking on your brand and it's not going to matter who's selling it. Because if you think about it, how many resellers are out there have distributor accounts with major brands? All of them. Like a yes. lot. Exactly. <laughs> so it's you are in full control of what you do on Amazon. So that's the thing is um, I do have multiple seller accounts because I'm a consultant. So I have access to, and I don't mix that with my seller account. Right. But so you can create another account and you can register it to that other business. Um, but what I would do is you can just register your brand and then your brand's stuff is all going to be listed under that brand. And you're going to have a storefront for that brand. And you know, it's not really going to be a, a big deal. Awesome. Awesome. So keep those questions coming. These are great. <laughs> These are great questions. 
Um, so how should people find a product to start their first private label brand? Yeah, so product research is one of the uh, most key things. And um, and I keep seeing Dina's thank you on, is still on the screen. So I'm like, what's going on over here? <laughs> I'm like reading it. <laughs> there we go. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a squirrel chaser. So I'm like, squirrel, what is that on the screen? Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about product research, you know, because it's so important. And you guys, I have to tell you, I have been doing this. I've probably helped several hundred sellers now. And I have had a lot of coaching calls with a lot, a lot, a lot of people that have gone down this, find a product on product research software that is high demand and low competition. And I don't do that. I don't use product research software to find a product that's high demand and low competition. Do you know why? <laughs> because there are 3000 new sellers entering Amazon every day. And right. all of the courses, except for mine, and I think one other that I know of, teach to take the same data and scroll through it and filter it down and find this miracle unicorn product that's right. high demand, low competition. And then the other thing that, it te that they teach you to do is go look at bad reviews to differentiate. Right. So let's say I'm launching a toiletry bag and I go look at my, my competitor's bad reviews and everybody's complaining about the zippers. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to differentiate mine and I'm going to make mine with a really nice, like a better zipper. Well, guess what? Nobody's searching for toiletry bag with a better zipper. It's you're going to get lost in search. You're going to get lost in saturation. The only way to find a good product is to start with the customer. Start with the customer. Understand what the customer wants. Study the customer. That's called market research. And buyers have been doing it forever. Like buyers of major retailers have been using market research forever to choose products to sell in their stores that are going to really drive people in and get them going. So I do use product research tools when it comes to searching for competition and volume numbers and stuff like that. But what I do instead is I start with a product and I understand, I start with the customer and I understand why they buy a certain product and what problem that product is solving for them. So for example, in the, the example that I've used in multiple presentations that I've done on product on market research is dog toys. It's a pretty saturated niche, right? Like, ooh, I don't know, right? And I'm in a pet niche. So, you know, we, we took this, this dog toy and we went through it and we said, okay, well, what kinds of things are people looking for when it comes to dog toys? And so you can put right in Google or in Amazon in any search bar and you can put dog toys for, right? And you're going to see suggestions. And those suggestions are the best keyword tools you can have because they're the most updated. And they're going to tell you exactly what people are searching for in, yeah. or in the order that they're searching for them because the search engine wants to make people happy. I'm a total search engine nerd, by the yeah. way, you guys. I, I love it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we're going to look. And so we see in dog toys, we see people are looking for, for aggressive chewers. 
for, you know, um, for the crate, for, you know, so we see all the things that people are looking for with, with dog toys. And we see a trend in people are looking for indestructible dog toys and aggressive chewer dog toys. And we're like, okay, well, what's the problem that that top toy, why is that toy so in demand, right? What is it solving for the customer? So then we went and looked, all right, well, why do dogs chew aggressively? What's the deal, right? Because if you're the customer and you get a new dog and that dog is chewing up everything in your house. Yes, Yeah, all your shoes. Exactly. You're going to do the same thing that we're doing. You're going to hit up the internet and you're going to go, how do I stop my dog from chewing? (laughs) And so, you know, that's what, that's what we're doing. We're looking at, okay, well, what causes aggressive chewing? And we learn that separation anxiety causes aggressive chewing. And then we were like, okay, well, what can we do about separation anxiety? We're just searching just like the customer would. We're trying to solve our problem, right? And we learned that crate training is the top recommendation for, um, for solving separation anxiety, right? Crate training and chewing. And then we searched for toys for the crate because, you know, we're like, how do you keep your dog busy while in the crate? And Google will tell you all this other things that people search for. Right. So we're just going down this rabbit hole and we're learning that, um, that, you know, people want dog toys to keep their dog entertained in the crate because a lot of people are crate training. Why? Because aggressive chewers, separation anxiety, right? So we looked and we looked at toys for the crate and there's not a lot of stuff that actually solves the problems that the veterinarians are recommending. So right there is opportunities. And then we continued our search and we actually found a toy for the crate that's selling like mad cats. And it is a, like, it's like a puppy love doll. And it's like a, a like little stuffed puppy and it has a heartbeat inside and a warming heat pack. So now you're probably thinking, well, so what Amy, you found the product that somebody's already selling that, that doesn't help me. Well, yeah, but now I know what that customer's pain points are. And I know I can look at this product that's selling really well and I can see what problems it's solving, what problems it's not. So we went and looked through, now we can look through the reviews and see what's going on because we understand the customer and we see that the heat pack, you just microwave it. So what's going to happen two minutes after you leave your house? It's going to get cold. It's going to get cold. And that heat pack, the reason it's effective is because it imitates a warm body. Yes. And then the heartbeat Okay, that works great, but the problem is the dog is actually chewing up this toy. They're chewing it up, and so you come home from work, and you've got this heat pack and the chewed up dog toy and the chewed up heartbeat thing, and you're like, oh, that didn't work. Some of them don't chew it up, but others did, right? Mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, well, how could we imitate a warm body in the crate? There's already a product that does that, right? A heat mat, they sell like crazy. And all we need to do is add the heartbeat to the heat mat. And now the dog is happy. Now the dog is happy. So just so you guys know, I did this, I gave this product idea and I can repeat my process a million times. I just gave you the the nuts and bolts of my process, but I can come up with a million ideas following this process. I don't need product research tools. I don't need anything. I can just go and research the customer and I can come up with ideas a million times over again. I will never run out of ideas. I can give you ideas all day long. 
And I know my ideas are going to sell because I know the customer. So right. anyway, someone launched one of these and I went out and I was like, everybody who's listening, like one of you launched this product. I promise you it'll sell well. It's selling like crazy. So anyway, it's it, somebody actually took a minimum viable product. So they just took like the mat and they it had like a puppy head on it. Um, and they just put the heartbeat inside of the head. So they launched a minimum viable product. That's actually really easy to do. You wouldn't have to, both products already exist. You're just combining them. So you're not like, having to invent something, right? right. But right. you could very easily do a patent on something like that. You could very easily do a, uh, like a design patent saying like my heartbeat mat or my heated mat has a heartbeat inside of it. Right. That's easy to do, right? You could, you know, or you could do a utility patent on that, but either way, and now we're not afraid of patents anymore because we know that we can do right. that very affordably right. and effectively. Um, right. So yeah, so somebody launched it and selling like crazy. So. The good news is you guys, and they can protect it, right? Because they did something different. So that's the thing you guys is, I really want you to know why the customer buys a product and how you, that your differentiation actually matters to them. Right. Right. And the other thing is you need to be able to sell your product at a price that is a market price. So you, you don't want to come to market. So with that, that uh, heated mat with the heartbeat inside, right? If all the other heated mats on the market are selling for $30 and I don't do a good job of manufacturing and sourcing mine and I pay my manufacturer way too much money, which a lot of people do because they have no idea how to talk to a manufacturer. But, and I hope that I can sell this thing for $80, well, people are just going to go, uh, I don't know. It's not, but if I make it easy for the customer, if I sell mine for $35, the same price as all the heated mats, but mine has the heartbeat, right? What's the customer going to choose? The heartbeat. They're going to choose the one that has that added benefit versus right. the one that doesn't. If I make it easy for them to choose. So we want to make sure that we're right into the market price, that we're very competitive, that we protect our ideas, that we um, look at what the customer wants and that we understand why the customer buys certain products and what problems it's solving for them, because then we can be confident yeah. in our differentiations and in our validation of our product ideas. Wonderful. Oh, that was a good one. Okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, and that's like, you know, I love pets. I have dogs. And so, yes. Um, so with that being said, what kind of margins when we're talking about the profitability of a business model, we want to know what kind of profits that we can hope for or expect. Um, so what kind of margin should people plan for so that they can be profitable and how do you find the supplier? So that's kind of a two point. Okay. So let's start with margin. So this is another thing I had, a, I've had a lot of coaching calls with a lot of people. Most of the courses out there, the private label courses teach three X. So they teach you source it for $5, you sell it for 15, right? It's not enough. No, that most of those people that I talk to are also selling a very saturated product that they found using product research software and that they didn't differentiate enough to be able to charge more for it. And they paid too much to their supplier for it. And so they have no margin and they're paying too much for advertising. And so they're actually losing money with every sale. And so they had this dream of, you know, sitting on the beach with their laptop and firing their boss. And here they are paying Amazon to sell their products. And this is a reality. Like this yeah. is 
a lot of new sellers are stuck in this position. I, it's, it's not a, a good position to be in. So let's flip that around. Okay. I'm going to make it easy for you. All right. I want you to aim for a minimum seven X multiplier on your products. That's the gold standard in retail that leaves you space to not only sell your products on Amazon, but it also leaves you space to sell your products wholesale to retailers later on, right? It leaves you space to pay for fluctuations in shipping and other things that you might not be able to, um, to control. So on Amazon, I actually aim for a 10 X multiplier, just so you know, I have some products that are 14 X and 15 X multipliers, but what does that mean? What's a multiplier? So let's say I can sell the product for $70. If I know that the market price of that product is $70, well, I know that in order to have a 7x multiplier, I just have to divide by seven. That means I have to source it for not more than $10, okay? So that's the thing. Now, here's the thing. When you're first doing your first order and you're only ordering like a thousand units, right? Right. You're probably not gonna get a 7x. 7x is what you need to be able to scale to. Right. When you're ordering, you know, 10,000 units at a time, that kind of thing, you know, depending on how large the product is, that's what you need to be able to scale to, which is why you need to learn how to have conversations with manufacturers and how to not have like, you know, a text based conversation on Alibaba. Right. Right. Um, Most of those people are not even manufacturers. They're third parties. But anyway, the point is, I want you guys to make sure you can scale to that because I want you to have space. Okay, so whenever you're thinking about selling a product, if I'm thinking about selling this alarm clock and I'm good to go, right? um, I need to make sure that if the price of this product, the market price is like $30, I need to divide that by seven and I need to make sure that I can source it for not more than whatever 30 divided by seven is. What does that say? Four dollars and something. Yeah, something. There we go. Thank you. Let me get out my calculator on this show. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, that's that's an easy calculation for you to do. Um, and a lot of people, when they're already paying their supplier too much, they're going to find it very hard to get lower prices. But when you learn how to have, so this is the thing. The second part of that question was, how do I find a supplier? Right? Yeah. How do I find a supplier? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find a supplier on Alibaba. That's okay. You can go in person yourself to China. You can go, you don't have to source from China. There's so many, you can source from the U S you can source from Mexico. I have people that source from Brazil and uh, and all over the place. So it's okay. I want you to source from wherever is most economical for your product. Um, But that being said, how do you find suppliers? Number one rule for finding suppliers is actually knowing your manufacturing process. Right. How many of you have no idea how your product is made? Probably a lot of people have no idea how the product is made. I've heard manufacturing, but yeah, it's, yeah, you got to know where, how, and when. If I'm going to make this alarm clock, right, I need to know. I would go on YouTube, I would go on Google, and I would be like, how are clocks made? How is, um, you know, and you can you can find so much information out there. What material is this, right? Like when I was trying to make my litter box cleaner, uh, my product designer was like, okay, so he was trying to design for manufacturing for the mold to be made, and he was like, what kind of plastic are you going to use? And I was like, 
There's How many colors of plastic are there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I don't, yeah. what? You want yeah. to know what kind of plastic I'm going to use? I didn't know there were kinds of plastic. So there I am on Google, types of plastic. Then I started going and he actually gave me a tip. He said, look on the bottom of any plastic product. I don't know, this is a pen. And yeah. you'll see the little PP number and you know what um, what what number it is. So I went and looked at other litter boxes and litter box products and I saw PP5 on there and I was like, ooh, that's polypropylene number five. And I went and looked and saw, you know, what that is. So the thing is, you can't find a good manufacturer if you have no idea how your product is manufactured. Right. And you can't have a good conversation with a supplier if you have no idea what it takes. It's like, you know, the boss, whenever you work a job for a boss that has no idea how much work it takes to do something and they're like, can you get that done by the end of the day? And you're like, no. <laughs> no. How did you become the boss? Right. Yeah. It, there's yeah. just no, it's insanity. It's insanity. Yeah. So what manufacturer is going to want to work with you if you're coming to them going, can you make this? <laughs> like, you know, no, it's, hi, how are you doing? Can you tell me about your primary export markets? Can you tell me about your customer? What are your most popular products? I want to talk to you about this alarm clock right here. You have one very similar. Um, what are my options for differentiating this? I know that this um, that most clocks are made with this electronic unit inside. What ones do you guys use for that process? What's your production timelines? Um, you know, what's the mold cost for this injection molding? Because I want to make this a cat shape. You know, all of that. What are my material options? When you start having conversations like that, they actually feel like, oh, this person is like, okay, got it, right? So you need to have real conversations with your suppliers. When you find suppliers on Alibaba or whatever, don't just reach out to them via chat and say, hey, how much is this? And what's your MOQ? I don't even talk about MOQ. Right. MOQ is not even part of my conversation. That's like one of the biggest mistakes you can make and never tell them that you sell on Amazon. That's right. like just asking for insane prices. Negotiation. <laughs> this is all a dance. Um, yes. And when you're in that phase of um, what I worked in manufacturing, so I understand those questions, but not everybody has that experience. Yeah. Um, I think that's why you're the expert because you've already walked the walk and talked the talk. So because um, I wouldn't have known what kind of plastic. I would have been yeah. like brown. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And like, and, and this is not an attempt to put anyone down. This is an attempt to empower you yeah. and tell you, look, you can do this. Just like you started at your job or in your career and you knew nothing from day one and you were like, oh my gosh, how am I going to learn this? You can learn this too. And yeah. that is a learning curve, but it is directly in association with your level of success in this business. So we want you to take this business very seriously and we want you to, you know, it's your brand. These are your products. I want you, my dream for everyone that I work with is that they have a partner with their manufacturer and then they get to go and see their products being made and they get to have that partnership and that friendship that is just so beautiful. Um, and, and that's the way that it should be. It shouldn't be this like, oh, I hope the products turn out okay. And you know, it's, it's a partnership and we want you to understand your manufacturing process 
ask questions, build a relationship with your suppliers, um, you know, do all the things to be the best business owner that you can be that makes X type of products, yeah. right? Understand your industry, really get into it because that's, if you think of the, your favorite brands, they are the leaders in their industry. And that's what my, my goal to do as a private label coach is to build leaders. I want leaders in the industry coming out, right? I want you to be recognized in your industry. I want your brand to be recognized in your industry. And the biggest thing that I do is give people permission to do that. Because so many people, they, they see a big brand or something like on Amazon or whatever, and they're like, well, Amy, that's like a big brand. Like, why? Oh, I don't, okay. We can all be big brands, by the way. Yeah, where do you think they started? They started with one conversation with the manufacturer, with one product development. Like, you know, there's no reason that you can't be right there with them. That's right. Awesome. Okay, so um, once you have solidified with your manufacturer and your production, um, how do you know how much to order in that first and then the second and the third orders as you think about we you know you you touched on we're not going to talk about moq until we are talking about moq and mm -hmm. in a partnership with our manufacturer so can you talk about how much you order typically so when you guys are first launching something when it's your first time it's totally normal to you first want to make sure that you can scale with that supplier that at scale, when you're ordering container loads, that you can you have that minimum 7x multiplier price, right? Yes. But every brand out there tests products first. Like it's right. not like, oh, I immediately order 40,000 units of those. Like that's not how it works, you know? No. Um, so the thing is, and never be afraid of a, a factory's MOQ. Like you're one discussion away from being a good partner. Um, and so that it really like I had one client um, and she's in our program and, and she found a few manufacturers and we were going through the list and kind of vetting those suppliers and looking at, you know, whether they were trading companies or or factories and all that. And um, and she found one that was really, really good. But their MOQ for um, for one of their stock products was like 10,000 because they were like a tier one factory or something. Right. Um so, so they basically, uh, so we sat down and she, you know, I do this with my clients. Sometimes I'll do negotiation sessions with them and their suppliers so that they can kind of learn and get, get the ropes. Right. Um, and so her and I sat down um, on a call with this manufacturer and she was worried because, you know, their MOQs were really high and they're a really big factory. And she's just, she was just moving her manufacturing from one area to another. And, um, and anyways, so we sat down and we just had the most lovely conversation and she showed us around the factory on WeChat. She showed us around and, and like, we just, we just talked about the manufacturing process. We talked about her family. We talked about my favorite foods in China. We talked about, yeah. you know, all the different things. And, um, and then we talked about, okay, how many of these fit in a container? Let's talk about 40 fit containers, 20 foot containers. Just, we get an idea of the number of units. They calculated that out for us. And, um, and then we asked about unit price, like, okay, well, what's the price per unit? And the price that she gave us was super low, which um, you would assume that it's because of the high MOQs, right? right? And 
what I did after that, I didn't say, well, what's the MOQ? I said, because that, you know, who would want to work with somebody that's like, oh, how little can I order from you? Right. right. <laughs> that's right. not exciting in mass manufacturing. So basically I said, hey, so we really, we like this and we're really excited to test this product. Um, and we know that you don't get excited about a thousand units. Trust us. We don't get excited about a thousand units either. We want to make 10,000 unit orders, but we do need to test this product on the market. So yes. instead of MOQ, I want you to use the word surcharge. And so I just asked, I said, okay, so what is the surcharge if we start with say a thousand units on this? Um, and she said, our flat rate surcharge is $300. Totally Easy. testable. Yeah. Easy. So, yeah, so that's what you're going to do, because in most cases and when I'm walking Canton Fair and which is the, the largest sourcing exposition in China, if you ever get the chance to go, it's amazing. It's twice a year in April and October and we have a China trip. So you guys can always join me and I'll walk the floors with you. It's so amazing. I feel like yeah. Oprah when I'm in China, I'm just like, yeah. oh, but anyway, um, you know, when you're when you're talking with a manufacturer, it's not really like don't don't ask what the MOQ is at the start of your conversation. Say, hey, you know, for um, I'd like to start with 500 units of this. Is that OK? You know, and, and if they say yes, then you don't even need to ask the surcharge question. And right. then the second the second thing is, OK, well, um, if, if they say, oh, no, our, our MOQ is a thousand units. You say, okay, well, what can you tell me what the surcharge is for less than a thousand? Right. And sometimes they don't understand what surcharge means. And you can explain, well, you know, I'm happy to pay you a little extra because I realize it's going to cost you extra to get the, the production line going to make only 500 of these. But I really want to test the market first. So don't be afraid of, of less than the MOQ. And then the other thing is, how many should I order? That's like the big thing, right? Like if you've validated your product and you know there's a spot for in the market and you're ready to go, look at your closest competitor, not the top competitor on the page, not right. the one who's been there for three years and has built a whole audience off of Amazon and all of this stuff. Look at your closest competitor on this page. Maybe somebody who's launched recently, who's kind of in the same market, who you're competing with and take their sales and take about 75% of their sale, their sales, their daily sales numbers. And that's how you can calculate. And I like to always have, if I'm sourcing from China, I like to have three months of stock. Three so months. just so you guys know, I also source from the US. My factory, my product that I invented is made in the USA. So I have experience sourcing from the US, finding factories to make my products in the US. I actually had my molds made in China, stuck them on a ship move them back, move production back here to the US. So I have a lot of experience in all different areas, but I am just as happy with my manufacturers in China. They're amazing. And, you know, I, I love them. And, you know, I have a great time um, meeting with them and visiting and um, they're just, they're really great people. And there's nothing better than, than seeing your products get made and, yeah. and really having that good partnership. Yeah. So plan based on that. Awesome. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is about the data. Like I can understand that now like how do you make that first buying decision should i do 500 should i do a thousand so think, think about three months of stock so if you're sourcing from china usually your lead time is like 30 days right and then you've got 30 days over the water with shipping 
And so, and then you want 30 extra days of just being in stock. So I like to order uh, like 90 days at a time of supply and that way I'm good to go. Good to go for the next, that's good to know. Okay, good, 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 good. How do you get those products? Um, do you do you bring them to your house or uh, from China? How, where did they come to? Yeah, this is one of the biggest questions. And it was so hard for me, you guys, when I first got started, I was like, okay, wait, I have to like import stuff. Like, how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> do I need like a certificate for that? How does agent? Yeah, anyway. yeah. So I, I, you know, researched this and this was before I even knew about like doing product inspections and quality control. Like I've learned so much. It's crazy. But, um, but yeah, so in, in terms of shipping, so the big thing that we have to worry about nowadays is Amazon has limits. I used to be able to just like send it all to FBA, right? So now we have some limits. So we need, probably need a third party logistics provider. Um, or a warehouse that we can keep our, our products in. Now there's a difference between a 3PL, a third-party logistics provider and a warehouse. Warehouse facilities, they're not going to pick and pack your stuff one by one and send it out, but they will be able to hold your stuff and ship more ship bulk shipments to Amazon. So right. that's one thing there. And then there's 3PLs that often will do pick and pack. So let's say you're also selling on Walmart. Let's say you're also selling on you know, Lowe's.com and, and Amazon and your own website, you know, if you're doing all of that and you're not fulfilling through Amazon, then you can use a 3PL. So what you want to do is know what your destination is, your destination address, wherever that is, it might be multiple destination addresses, but usually your best bet when you're importing is to choose one destination address and then use ground transport from there. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be more effective versus you telling your freight forwarder, hey, I want you to take my products and I want you to send them to Amazon, to my house, and I want these at this warehouse and I want these over here. And they're going to go, um, yeah, nope. we're going to charge you out the wazoo for that. So, but if you can send it to one central location and then you're just creating a shipment of 200 that go to Amazon, that's easy, right? So just think about that. Think about source and destination, pick one destination address, and then use ground transportation if you can to move it around from there. That's the easiest way to kind of manage your logistics. Get multiple quotes from multiple freight forwarders. Don't find freight forwarders in Facebook groups. That's not, no. Nah. Don't find inspectors in Facebook groups. Make sure that you use reputable freight forwarders and reputable inspection companies. Inspect your products before they leave. I've seen so many people just trust that their factory is going to do it. I was on the phone today with Bill Jacoby. He's a product compliance specialist. And he was telling me their biggest problems with compliance and with failed inspections is in the three months after Chinese New Year. Why? Because it's the biggest human migration in uh, of any place ever in a year. And they have, factories have a bunch of turnover. Yep. So they might have made your products fine the last time, but now it's all new people working there that haven't been trained. And so you need to make sure that you set up and have your products inspected. The minute your production starts, you want to make sure you arrange an inspection and don't use a cut rate inspection company, like use a good inspection company. I love Mavli. Mavli is a great one. And I love VTrust. Both of those are really great inspection companies to use. Um, set up an inspection for your products 
Make sure that your products are meeting your quality control requirements. Make sure that you have good spec documents that you deliver to your supplier so they know how to make your products to that. And that's going to help you with your, with your inspections. And then once your products have passed inspection, then you can pay and ship and then make sure like source destination and then move via ground transport from there. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, but it's good to know what the actual protocol is, right? Um, because when you're looking at being becoming a private label seller, it's good to know what to expect, right? Because yeah, because think about it: if you don't inspect those products and they leave China or wherever you're getting them from, right. and they're all ruined, like right. that that it could be a a hundred thousand dollar mistake. Not to mention you could get sued. I mean, right. like uh, uh, my last inspection, I just launched a new cat toy and my last inspection found needles left in the products. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No one. yeah. So that's why it's <laughs> so important. And then just the integrity of the product, because I've had um, where the packaging, um, it, it looked fine, but then mm -hmm. really that over here, the packaging was mingled just because mm -hmm. it was hands um yeah. so then we had to repack pay to repackage it here in the states which is a whole nother cost yeah um and so that's just something else to look out for right the integrity of the plastic it was actually plastic they had used a cheaper um a thinner plastic and then they had all popped open by the well not mm -hmm. all of them. so they had to repackage um so good to know the process so every Business model has a process and this is part of that process. Um, so can you walk us through your launch process for private label? So now you are, you have your alarm clock and you've had it made and now it's coming over. And now what are we, what, what should we expect? Well, my alarm clock wakes you up with meows. That sounds like a terrible thing. That's horrible. Anyway, uh, people love it. So, you know, we're getting ready to launch. <laughs> and what should we do? Okay, you guys, I want to talk to you about this. This is the launch process. When you're selling a brand, when you're reselling, you're selling a brand that already exists, that already has customers, that already is built. And yes, your listings are important. But when you're private labeling, we got You need to be the listing optimization master yes yeah Be yes. <laughs> because you really really want to set up your product listing that is your foundation that is your foundation so step one of launch is to have a awesome product listing and so i'm going to break down my five fundamentals of uh listing optimization and this is going to help you with your photos as well so my five fundamentals are also they represent the bullet points of your product listing. So I want you to write your bullet points based on this. Always write your listing first, then add in the keywords because you need it to be human readable and not just like oh, a worm clock cats thing and it doesn't make any sense. No, we're not doing that. We're gonna write it, we're gonna make it very readable and then we are going to launch that product. So are you ready for my five bullet points? Yes, yes. Number one, the first bullet point in your listing, should tell the customer why they should buy your product, why it's for them. So you're not necessarily being defensive against competitor products. You're not like, 
all other alarm clocks suck by ours. No, you're saying, hey, we know that you love your cat. Now you can record your cat's voice and be woken up to it every morning, even though my cat wakes me up without an alarm clock every morning. But right? anyway, <laughs> anyway, you know, you know the customer, you're connecting with them through this. And that's also happens to be your second photo. So you're going to explain your unique selling point. What is the problem your customer has? What is your unique solution to their problem? And what does their life look like now? And you're putting that in your first bullet point, And also you're showing that in your second photo. Okay. Right. Bullet point number two, this also goes along with the customer sales cycle. So this is what customers think when they're looking through listings. First, they are like, Oh, do I need this? Is this for me? And that's bullet point number one. Then they go, okay, well, what do I get? Let's include it. So that's our second bullet point. We really want to tell them like with this alarm clock, you get six different meowing noises and <laughs> <laughs> the ability to set it remotely with your phone, whatever, you know, but you're telling them all the things that they get and why it's important to them. Don't just tell them that it's stainless steel. Why is it important that it's stainless steel, right? Like right. what's the benefit? So bullet point number two, and then you're going to have a photo to represent that. So you're going to show them what's included in a photo. Maybe I'm going to show them the dimensions. Maybe I'm going to show them all the buttons. You know, I'm going to have a really beautiful infographic. All right. Bullet point number three, quality guarantee. So Next question that goes through the customer's mind is, so they go, oh, I like it. I think it's for me. And then they go, what do I get? And they go, oh, I like what I get. And then they go, is it going to break? Yeah. And what happens if it doesn't work and I want to return it? That's yeah. the next thing that is the first objection that goes through their mind in the sales cycle. So a lot of people put this as bullet point number five. And I say, that's a mistake because we want to remove the objections at bullet point number three. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk about the quality of the product and how we stand behind the quality and how we love our customers. And we're going to have a photo to represent that. I can't tell you how many people have lifetime guarantees and stuff like that, or like five-year warranties, and they don't have a photo that shows that. Like, why? Show people that in your photos. So, this is all good for all things you're listing all over the place. By the way. All things. All the things. All the things. Yes. And then bullet point number four, after, after they, okay, great. I know what's included. It's pretty quality, I think that, and I think if I have to return it, they're gonna be okay with it. So that's pretty good, I feel good about it. Then they go, ah, but maybe I really don't need it. You know, I, I mean, do I really need it? That's kind of the, like the next question that goes through their mind. So bullet point number four is all about multiple uses. So you're gonna tell them all the ways that they can use it in their life. You know, not only does our alarm clock work great for waking you up in the morning, but it also has an, a radio. So you can listen to music any time of the day. You know, whatever. It's also waterproof in case you want to use it in the shower. You're showing them all the ways that it can use be used, right? So it's really great for that. Get it in their life, you know, and you're going to have a photo to represent that. My favorite photo for this is like the quad photo where you're like, use it in the kitchen, use it in the bathroom, you know, yep. all the places. Anyway, the last bullet point. This is, you know, we've made it all the way, all the way to the end. We've dealt with their objections. We, they know that they can use it in multiple places. The last bullet point is either one of two things, gifting or authority, right? So the first one is gifting because not, you know, a lot of people, they'll get through your listing and they'll go, oh, that's really cool. And they'll go, oh, I still don't need it. But if you show them that's a great gift for their grandmother, they go, oh, yeah. oh, or a baby shower gift, they go, Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I do have a baby shower gift next month or a baby shower next month that I'm going to. I'm going to buy that now, you know, take care of it. Right. So 
that's the thing. Remind them it makes a great gift. Help them see themselves gifting it to someone else. And just, it's really awesome. So you're going to have a photo representing that. But let's say you're selling like headlights and they really don't make good gifts. Right. <laughs> then, yeah, exactly. Or maybe you're selling supplements. Supplements aren't really a good gift item, right? Like you're not going to give somebody, you know, like omega-3 oils for, you know. So in that case, you're going to show your authority in the space. So we are certified, we are amazing, we are, you know, we've been in this business for 20 years and blah, 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 whatever. And you can have a photo to represent that too. I so, love it. So you're gonna start with a really great listing, right? And then let's get through to the rest of the launch. So listing is important. You write it first, you represent all the things that go through the customer's head in the sales cycle. You're gonna make that product look good. You're gonna create doubt in their mind about all the other products. I want them to keep scrolling and looking at other alarm clocks and go, wait, that other, this other one doesn't say that it does all these things. I can't use it in the shower. Oh, I'm going to go back to that other one and buy that other one. Right. That's what we want to do. We want to create doubt in the customer's mind. We want to do a really great job of speaking to their, the benefits and really helping them just feel like they need this product in their life. Okay. So we got a great listing. We put in great keywords in this listing. And we're ready to go. And the second thing that we have to do when we launch, we have to get page visits. So when you launch your product, your product isn't indexed yet. Indexing means the search engine is going through and reading all the words in your listing. They're not going to read the words in your listing. They're not really going to waste their time past your title. If we think I always give the search engine like a like a, a voice, you know, <laughs> I have like a character that represents the search oh, engine. Yeah. <laughs> But the search engine is going to be like, eh, I read the title. It's fine. You know, they like perused it. But then once you start getting some page visits, it goes, right. oh, I guess people are paying attention to this a little bit more. Maybe I should have visited a few more times and put a few more words in my diary, you know, about this product over here. You want more words in the search engine's diary about your product because that represents the amount of searches you show up for. And if you yeah. can't get found online, people can't buy from you. So right. you want to get page visits. So how do you do that? You run some advertising, right? Some, um, and we're not going to get into advertising here, but the goal is to, to get page visits. And then the second part of phase one of launch is get product reviews. So this is the hardest thing. A lot of people struggle with this, but I really want to tell you that it's okay to ask friends. It's okay to ask, you know, people to leave you a review. It's okay to ask people to support you. I'm not saying get 50 reviews in a week. I'm right. saying get one or two to get you off the, you know, and what I do is I'll ask some, a friend to buy the product for me or somebody that I know needs it or somebody in my email list. Right. And I will ask them to, I often do this with customers will reach out to my brand because you know, they'll wonder about the product or whatever. And I'll be like, Hey, I already have you here. I would love your feedback on the product. Yeah. Right. So they're already going to buy it anyway. So then they give me their feedback in private. And this is what's great. You want someone who is going to get that product at their house. They're going to open it. They're going to give you their first impression. And they're going to tell you if there's any reason anyone else would not leave a five-star review for this product because you need to fix those things. Right. And so this is why we always go to our closer people that we know first for reviews, instead of just putting it out there to everybody like right. early reviewer 
program because right. what if there's a quality control issue? Right. What if something happened between here, between your supplier and Amazon and now they're all broken and you're gonna, you know, you don't want to set that up. So in the beginning, page visits, get a few reviews, then you move into phase two of launch, which is where you're gonna start running what I call just like you're blitzing, right? You're getting three forms of external traffic off of Amazon. You're doing your on Amazon uh, PPC and really advertising. You have a really great offer, a really great launch price, and you're just like telling everybody about it. You're just getting the word out there and you're making lots of sales and you're probably not making a lot of money right now. Right. You're probably breaking even. This is your investment period, right? right? Right. And then you move into phase three, which is where you know you've gotten your number of sales and you're you're moving through. And then during phase three, that's when you optimize your listing. Yeah. You, um, well, not optimize your listing, optimize your PPC, optimize everything else that's kind of going on, get that feedback, make sure you're fixing any issues and you start plan. you actually start making a profit and right. you start planning your next reorder. So that's it. Those are my phases of launch. I love it. That is amazing. So thank you, Amy, for all of the information. So if you are looking to get started in private label on Amazon and beyond, right? Because Amy, you're taking your products outside of just Amazon you're in brick and mortar, even if it's just locally, right? Um, and, and so really getting um, like fulfilling your, your destiny as an inventor, as a private label seller, as an e-commerce seller, um, and, and you're, you're, you're paving the way for all of us to do this the right way, right? Um, so thank you for all of this great information. I think a lot of us have a lot to think on and to absorb. Um, this, I, I did have a question about the replay. This replay will be available in our Facebook groups as well as our Facebook pages and on YouTube. And you can find Amy at Amazing at Home Facebook page. Give us a little bit more um, of where we can find you. Well, you can find me on the e-commerce empowerment coaches page. So yeah. you can always book coaching with me through there. Yeah. And then we do have a sister group um, for um, private label called Amazing at Home. So you guys can just search that up on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash groups slash Amazing at Home. Yeah. And you can find us there. And anytime you have private label questions, feel free to pop by. I I love answering private label questions. I love supporting you on your journey. So, um, you know, I think Jess is the only one that's probably more passionate than me. But <laughs> we are passionate together um, for our communities and our sister community because we want to help you succeed in whatever yes. business model that you're exploring. Um, and so, oh, there was one more thing I was going to say. And of course, I it popped out. Um, so I will link to the places where you can find Amy. Um, Amy is a coach for e-commerce empowerment. So you can visit e-commerce empowerment, click on coaching and click on Amy's page to learn more about, oh, I remember now. Um, so she is a coach and she's also got a private label course that she is walking through all of those steps that we did the high level overview. So if this is something that you're passionate about, her mastermind goes through every single one of those steps in detail um, with the experience that she has driven. And I think you have more things on the horizon with, with regard to a book, 
probably and some other great things coming. So we'll look forward to hearing all about your journey. So thank you, Amy, for coming. We really appreciate it. Um, and if you guys are watching the replay, feel free to comment below and we will answer your questions. You can tag yeah. Jeff Hill or Amy Weiss in the future. With that, um, have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks, all everyone. Right.